You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. that things that seem totally crazy to us, totally impossible for us, are just business as usual for God. You know, throughout the Word of God, we see the Lord asking ordinary men, asking ordinary women to accomplish things that we would call crazy or impossible. I mean, let's look a few examples. He asked Noah to build an ark in a place where it never rained, in a desert where there was never any water. We frequently find ourselves in situations over which we have no control and no way out. How do we get out of those situations? Pastor Dave explains today how God has complete control over every situation you face. You may believe that finding a way out is impossible, but rest assured that nothing is impossible for God. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 9 as he begins his message, Lord, you need to do what? Acts 9, verses 10 through 19. Okay. I'll read aloud if you want to read along silently, please. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who would call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Now I'm sure you heard about the man who was um, walking down the beach one day, and as he was walking down the beach, he found a bottle, uncovered the bottle, and he picked it up, and he looked at it, and when he opened it up, you guessed it, a genie came out. The genie came out and looked at him and said, ask what you will, and I will grant you one wish. The man quickly replied, I would like a superhighway from California to Hawaii for my private use. Genie looked for a moment and said, I'm sorry, sir, but that's almost impossible to do. Do you possibly have an alternative wish? Well, the man said, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. I always wanted to completely understand my wife, to know her inner thoughts and the way she thinks, to get inside her head and to really know what makes her tick. The genie looked at him and said, 
When do you want me to start building that bridge? <laughs> Has the Lord ever asked you to do something that boggled your mind? Has the Lord ever asked you to be in service for him that really, really you thought, Lord, you want me to do what? Kind of like yesterday, you know, when we all woke up and it was raining cats and dogs and there was flood warnings and the wind was blowing 9 billion miles an hour and we were supposed to be the Calvary Chapel moving ministry. And we said, Lord, you want us to do what? But has the Lord ever done that? Chances are he has. Chances are it's not. But you know, it, it seems, though, that things that seem totally crazy to us, totally impossible for us, are just business as usual for God. You know, throughout the word of God, we see the Lord asking ordinary men, asking ordinary women to accomplish things that we would call crazy or impossible. I mean, let's look at a few examples. He asked Noah to build an ark in a place where it never rained, in a desert where there was never any water. He asked Abraham and Sarah to prepare for a child. Doesn't sound too bad. Well, Abraham was 100. She was 99. He told Joshua to march around Jericho, playing with the band, blowing trumpets and shouting, and that would be the battle they were supposed to fight. He asked Naaman to wash seven times in the water of the River Jordan. And then there's my favorite, a man named Gideon. Gideon was asked by the Lord to go and deliver the Israel from the mighty hand of the Mennonites. And Gibri responds, Lord, you want me to do what? But Gideon is again called on the Lord, and eventually he raises an army of 32,000 men to come against the Midianites in battle. The Lord says, Gideon, you have too many men. you got to get rid of some. Lord, you want me to do what? He finally cuts down to 22,000 soldiers. He takes care of 10,000, and the Lord looks at him and said, Gideon, you have too many. Lord, you want me to do what? Finally, Gideon ends up with 300 middle-aged bald guys to take on the Midianites. And through Gideon's hand, the Midianites are subdued, and Israel is delivered. What a wonderful thing we have. But when you look at all these stories of all these men and women that were used mightily by God, there is something that they have in common. There's a commonality, and there's a common thread that goes through their entire time with the Lord. And that common thread, I think, is obedience. The common thing that I think that they had was obedience. When they were called upon to do what seemed impossible, what seemed crazy, these men and women did one thing. They obeyed God. You know, obedience is simply compliance with the command. Obedience is submission to authority. You know, first the command must be known to the person, and then their compliance must be the consequence of that command. If not, it's not obedience. Obedience is not synonymous with obsequiousness which often means meanness or civility. Obedience is merely a proper submission to authority, and that which duty requires implies dignity of conduct rather than civility. Obedience may be voluntary or it may be involuntary, but make no mistake about it, obedience to God is always voluntary. It is always voluntary. God never forces us to obey. As we began our study last week in chapter 9, we read as Saul of Tarsus, the true hunter, breathing threats and murder, wreaking havoc on the believers of the way. He took these letters, and he was on his way to Damascus from Jerusalem. 
You know, these letters that he asked the chief priest to give them gave him authority to knock down doors and drag people out of the synagogues, drag people out of their houses who were in this way. And we said that the way was what Christians were called before they were called Christians. They were in the way, which is perfectly poignant because Jesus did say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So they were in this way. So he's the hunter. He's the ferocious hunter, and we talked about this hunter, how ferocious he was. But the hunter, we said, was being hunted because Jesus, the hound of heaven, was on his trail. And remember the story we talked about last week. He, Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus, knocked him to the ground, and appeared to him. And Jesus asked him a question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul is literally blinded by this great shining light, but he has the, the wherewithal to ask the question, who are you, Lord? You know, this response was, the response that Paul's going to receive is nothing that he could possibly imagine. Nothing could possibly prepare him for what he was about to hear. Nothing, of course, except the Holy Spirit. What he hears is absolutely mind-boggling to Saul. What does he hear? He hears these words, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. We read as Saul was trembling and astonished with what he just experienced. He just heard Jesus, the one who was persecuting, the one who he, he was trying to destroy, the one who was dead, the one who claimed to be a Messiah but was dead and buried long ago. And these people have been claiming that he's been is there alive and that he would risen. And this was Paul, he was against his entire being, and this is what his entire conquest was for. I'm sure he couldn't wrap his mind around it. I'm sure he couldn't understand what was going on. Paul was an extremely intelligent man, and I'm sure he didn't know what was happening, but he knew how to ask the right questions because he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus says, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Here we see Saul being led by his companions toward the city. Once again, obedience is the key here. Obedience to God's word. Obedience to God's word is the key here. We see Saul being obedient to what the Lord has called him to do. And all he called him to do was go into the city. Get up and go into this city. Saul was obedient to the voice of the Lord. We said that the truest test of discipleship was obedience to the word of God. This is the true test of discipleship. Are you obedient to God's word? You call yourself a disciple, but are you obedient to what God has laid forth and has asked you to do? And we quoted the scripture. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I say? So the truest test of you being a disciple of Jesus Christ is do you do what Lord, the God and the Lord is asking you to do? Just as these women throughout the Bible, just as these men that we looked at throughout the Bible, they didn't ask, and Saul didn't ask, Lord, you want me to do what? They didn't ask him. Without hesitation, they followed the Lord's command. They followed the Lord's way, the Lord's will. Acts 9, verse 10, enter a man named Ananias. Ananias, a disciple. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus called Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. In Acts 22, verse 12, the apostle Paul would tell some more characteristics about Ananias. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. See, Ananias was a devout man, according to the law. He had a good testimony among his friends, which means he could be trusted. Ananias was a trusted servant of the Lord. But Ananias was just an ordinary man. And by ordinary, what I mean is, Ananias wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't an elder or even a deacon. He was just a saint. 
Someone who loved the Lord. Someone who had been praying to the Lord. And in a vision, he's met by the Lord and he's told what to do. God uses him especially because he's an ordinary person. I think that if an apostle or someone who was big and prominent had come to Paul, then people would have said, oh, Paul received the gospel from them and not from Jesus himself. God uses an ordinary man. This is what Oswald Chambers says. This is great. All of God's people are ordinary people who have been made extraordinary by the purpose he has given them. All of God's people have been made extraordinary by the purpose he has given them. God loves to use ordinary people and makes them extraordinary. Just takes us folk and makes us extraordinary. Think about it. One thing that's mentioned here that really strikes a chord is the fact that Ananias was a disciple. It says that. In the book, Luke calls Ananias a disciple. Now, I don't know if you remember our discussion that we had when we studied the book of Philippians about discipleship. We said that Jesus clearly calls every believer to be a disciple, and he wants us all to experience the abundant life that we can find when we follow hard after him. But while every disciple is a believer, not every believer is a disciple. As I said, I believe that Jesus has called us all to be his disciples. During that study, we concluded that a disciple meant that you were being committed to Jesus. You're a learner. You're a follower. You follow hard after him. You read his word. You obey what he says. You love others, and you share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what being a disciple is. Jesus himself gives them the requirements for discipleship in Luke 9, verses 23 through 25. You could probably quote it with me. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for mine's sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Jesus clearly lays out what a disciple is supposed to look like, what a disciple is supposed to do. It's been 2,000 years or more since Jesus gave that command to his disciples. It's been over 2,000 years that Jesus laid out the requirements for discipleship. And guess what? Nothing's changed. They are still the requirements to today for discipleship. There's a denying of self. For the kingdom of God is not selfishness. The kingdom of God is not self-centeredness. The kingdom of God is not man-centered. It is God-centered. A man whose life is centered in God cannot be centered on himself. But because he is centered in God, it is what we have as the proof and desire that he desires to give him of himself. Give out of himself that which he might not even have. He gives up his life. He gives up his belongings. He gives up his love. He gives up everything he has because God is in him and he is centered in God. And God is a people person, if you haven't noticed lately. He's a people person. He says, give. Give unto others. Do unto others as you expect them to do to you. He gives us all these commands. So a disciple wants to do that. A disciple wants to give of himself. And as I submit to God, he leads me into that giving. You must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily. But there's the third aspect of discipleship. And the third aspect of discipleship is following Jesus Christ. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. We talked about this on Wednesday night. It's no coincidence that our studies are starting to conjoin. It's no coincidence that all our studies are starting to blend together. Following Jesus is Christianity 101. Following Jesus is what the entire Christian life is all about. Following Jesus Christ. So... Pick up, deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. Follow Jesus. These are the requirements of discipleship. 
But now Jesus doesn't leave them hanging there. He gives rationale. He gives rationale in the exact same verses. If you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you try to set your own destiny, if you try to follow your own ambitions, if you try to fulfill your own desires, you're going to lose your life. If you try to save it, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, my namesake, Jesus says, you'll save it. This is what real life is really about. Real life is found only in Christ Jesus. If you've tried real life other places, you know what I'm talking about. Real life can only be found when we abide in Christ Jesus. Him in us and us in him. Oneness. Oneness. And then he is in the Father. So we have this oneness with Christ and the Father. That's where true life is. That's when you really discover the meaning and the purpose of true life. You may ask, why are we here? Why did God create us? Why did God place us here? And you may think that God created you to go out and fill all your own desires to follow after your own ambitions. No, sorry. You may think that God created you in order that you might find all the pleasure that you can have and live for pleasure. Sorry. If you live for pleasure, you're dead while you're doing it. You're dead in the midst of it. The man who seeks his own pleasure is in his own way in his life, and he's losing it. But the man who will seek to bring pleasure to God is the man who has discovered life and his true meaning and his true purpose. And when you start living to please God, you will find living a very satisfied, fulfilling, wonderful life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He continues with this rationale. He says, what is the advantage of man if he would gain the whole world? You say, my ambition is to be wealthy. My ambition is to, be, to have goods and have things. That's great. That's wonderful. What if you attain all that? What if you achieve all that? What if you gain the whole world? But you lose your soul. What if you have everything you could possibly want, but lose your soul? What if you have all that stuff and you get up to the throne room and Jesus looks at you and says, depart from me, I never knew you. Ah, what good has it done you? The denying of yourself, the taking up your cross and following Jesus involves a total submission of your will to God. And we're back to obedience. We're back to obedience. Going back to Oswald Chambers again, he says, our Lord never insists on your obedience. He stresses very definitely what we ought to do, but he never forces us to do it. We have to obey him out of the oneness of the Spirit with him. That is why when the Lord talked about discipleship, he prefaced it with if, meaning you do not need to do this unless you desire to do so. The Lord makes his standard clear. And if my relationship is with him is that of love, then I will do what he says without hesitation. If I hesitate, it's because I have placed someone or something in place of the love of Jesus Christ. This is where we find Ananias. This is where we find our buddy Ananias who's been praying. His desire is to seek God. His desire is to do whatever God chooses him to do, and his desire to be of servant to him. He wants to be obedient to God's word. After, Ananias, after the Lord calls Ananias, he answers in the best way possible. What does he say? Here I am, Lord. You want to please the Lord? You want to make the Lord really happy when he calls you? Say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. What a great response. Ananias is so willing. He's so ready to serve. He's so ready to answer the call. Here I am. And why can he say, here I am? Same reason Isaiah could say, here I am, send me. Because he knows that he's been cleansed. 
He knows that his sins have been forgiven. He knows that the weight of sin has been taken off his shoulder. He knows that his sin debt has been paid in full and he's been reconciled with the most holy God. He knows that and understands that. And when we understand that and we know that and our lips have been touched with the coal and we've been cooled, we know, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'm ready. Because you have nothing to do with it. You have nothing of yourself left. You've been emptied. Look what the Lord says to our buddy Ananias. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Hmm. Remember when we were talking about Philip? Remember how we said that the Lord had prepared both ends of the revival of one? Remember how we talked about that? The Lord had prepared Philip and guided him to the desert by the Holy Spirit. And while he was doing that, he was preparing the heart of the Ethiopian man in the, in the chariot. Remember we said that? And when the two came together, when the two came, he placed them together, and his purpose was achieved, salvation through Jesus Christ. Here we see in Acts again, again a glimpse at the providential hand of God at work. God's providential hand is working in our lives on a daily basis. He is setting up things in our lives right now that we will run into next week, that we will run into a week from down the road or three weeks down the road. God is setting up things right now in our lives, and he's doing a masterful work within us and within the people that we might talk to and with those people that you might be praying for. He's doing a masterful work. Look what happened. Jesus knocked Saul off his high horse. Well, we think it's a horse. It doesn't really say it's a horse. And then he speaks to him. He tells him to go into the city and wait. But because Saul is blinded by this great light, his companions have to take him by the hand and lead him into the city. But Paul obeys what the Lord said. And now we find him in Damascus. And what is he doing in Damascus? He's praying. He's praying. During Saul's prayer, he's told that there's a man named Ananias, and that man is coming to put his hands on him to give him back his sight. Meanwhile, what is Ananias doing? Ananias is praying. Ananias is seeking the Lord. And all of a sudden, he, he receives a vision. And in the vision, the law calls him to go to the house of Judas's, where there's a man by the name of Saul Tarsus who is praying for him, and he's waiting for him. Go there. Go there. Go wait. Go there. See, I believe that the Lord will not send us anywhere or ask us to talk to anyone who he has not already prepared a way for. I firmly believe that the Lord is not going to ask you to open your mouth to someone that he already hasn't touched her heart with. I believe that. I believe that strongly. Even when we feel that God is angry with us or he's putting us through the worst trial or circumstances we could possibly know, he has a good reason for doing it. He may be preparing us for a wonderful event that is just about to take place in our life, an event that we would not be able to accept or appreciate had we not gone through the trial. God is working. His hand, his providential hand is working in every life here today. His hand is working in the lives out there. Look what Ananias says to him. He hears the word Saul of Tarsus, and Ananias says, Lord, you want me to do what? No, we don't read that. We don't read that. It says, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm has been done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bid all who call on your name. Acts 9, 13 through 14. Ananias has a valid complaint. You are 
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show.